Amen. Before you guys have a seat, here's what I would like you to do. Turn to somebody near you, introduce yourself, and tell them what your favorite season is and why. I'm Marcus Echo. Okay, before, before you sit down, before you sit down, if your favorite season is spring, you may sit down. There's a few of you. If your favorite season is summer, you may sit down. I would be sitting down right now, just so we're clear. If your favorite season is fall, you may have a seat. If you are still standing, the doors are back that way, and you can go ahead. I'm kidding. Give these guys a hand. You guys are my heroes. You guys love winter. That is just amazing. Uh, now, for the most part, the leaves are still kind of hanging on. They're still beautiful in areas, right? So fall's still here. But the temperatures this past weekend were very quick to tell me that winter is coming. I mean, it was 15 degrees on Saturday morning or something crazy like that, right? Winter is coming, and apparently we have some people here in the room that are very, very, very excited about that, right? Am I right? Maybe you feel just a little bit like this guy. This is my new friend, Jim. Uh, Jim from the Weather Channel, actually. And apparently he was really, really, really excited about this thing called Thunder Snow. Right? So he was really excited, obviously. Uh, in fact, the next thing that he was about to say there was, you can have your $500 million jackpot, but I'll take this. Four episodes of Thunder Snow. <laughs> okay, Jim. Uh, our son Jaden is also, he's four and a half. He always corrects me if I say four. He's four and a half. Uh, he is also very excited about winter. I mean, I don't know who he is because that is not who I am. But he is so excited about winter. The tiny little snowflakes that we've seen kind of fluttering a little bit this past week, he's like giddy excited. Dad, can we go outside? Can we like eat all the snow? Like, Jaden, there's not enough snow. Sorry, dude. There's just like a couple flakes. But he's trying to, you know, catch the little flakes that were falling already. But deep down inside, the truth is, I kind of want to be like Jaden. I kind of want to be like Jim. I mean, who doesn't want to be like Jim and be that excited about things that are going on in this world, right? When it comes to summer, or when it come, but when it comes to winter, I'm a little bit more like this girl right here. Here in the great state of Michigan, we get to celebrate or maybe tolerate the four seasons, right? The word seasons is actually an interesting word to me because it's not just describing seasons of fall, spring, summer, and winter, but there's also this idea of like, for example, the college basketball season just kicked off this past weekend, right? Some people are excited about that. 
Uh, also, like fruits and vegetables are considered in season or out of season, right? And we also talk about how life has different seasons. How would you describe the current season of your life? How would you describe the current season of your life? Would you describe your life as joyful? Things are good. Everything's like Jim, right? Or would you describe your life, your season of life being one of pain or fear or frustration? A season of transition, of worry, of stress, fast-paced, and I can't quite keep up. The treadmill is just going faster and faster and faster. A season of temptation, a season of loss, a season of anger, a season of constantly feeling overwhelmed, or inadequate. There's lots of ways that we could describe the current seasons of our lives. The semester uh, in our series, Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus, we've been looking at the lives of Moses and Jesus and their numerous parallels. And over the last several weeks specifically, we've been looking at some of the stories of the Israelites while they are wandering in the desert. They are in the middle of a very challenging season, a desert-type season. And they are in the desert for 40 years. And during this time, they are totally dependent on God to provide for their needs. Every second of every day. Day after day after day. The book of Deuteronomy, which actually means second law, is actually a retelling by Moses of the teachings and events from Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. Deuteronomy is kind of like a biography or a, a memoir, if you will. And throughout this book, Moses reminds the Israelites of God's love and faithfulness, but also of God's wrath on the previous generation of Israelites because of their rebellion. So turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you would like a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and we have some people in the back that would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along. And before we, uh, before we read this passage, I want, you to, I want you guys to listen carefully. We're going to read the whole chapter, 20 verses, and after I get done reading, what I want you guys to do is I want you guys to take one minute to share with a neighbor one thing or one verse or one phrase that kind of jumped out at you from this passage. Sound okay? All right. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase 
and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, take a minute, turn to somebody near you and just share one thing that kind of jumped out at you or stood out to you, one verse, something like that from that passage. Okay, I'm going to cut your conversation short here. Uh, there's lots of really great things we can talk about for a very long time in these words, in these uh, verses here. Um, and some of it you can talk about more in your life group together this week or something like that as well. Why were the Israelites wandering in the desert? Why were the Israelites wandering in the desert. 
Well, let me ask this question first. How long were the Israelites wandering in the desert? Forty years. Forty years. Have you ever noticed that the number 40 occurs again and again and again throughout the Bible? Maybe you've noticed that before, but uh, the number 40 is a really big deal. Here's a few examples of some 40 stories. So there's Noah's Ark. When God destroyed the earth with water, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. After Moses killed the Egyptian, he fled to the desert in Midian, where he spent years in the desert as a shepherd. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The Israelite spies took 40 days to spy out the land of Canaan. Stacy talked about that a couple weeks ago. Before Samson became Israel's ruler, Israel served the Philistines for 40 years. Goliath taunted the Israelite army for 40 days before David arrived to slay him. When Elijah fled from Jezebel, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. The prophet Jonah prophesied of the impending destruction of Nineveh, and if they didn't repent, if they didn't repent and gave them 40 days to do so, they did repent and the entire city-state was spared. Here are a few of the examples of the number 40 that take place again and again and again. In the Bible, the number 40 generally symbolizes a season of testing. It's a season of testing in order to bring change. Testing in order to bring change. So in each of these situations, there was some sort of test that was going on or some sort of change that needed to happen. So we'll just use the first story here, Noah's Ark. Was there something that God wanted to change in the story of Noah's Ark? The world, right? So the entire earth was totally wicked. The text even says that God even regretted that he made man because man was so evil. And so God wanted to wipe out the entire world and he used Noah and his family to spare them, but he wanted a clean slate. He wanted to start over. He wanted to bring change. Uh, So coming back to our story here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Israelites are in the desert for 40 years. 40 is the number of testing in order to bring change. So why were the Israelites in the desert for 40 years? Look at verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. To humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. Verse 3, 8 verse 3, he humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He humbled you to teach you. Jumping down to verse 16, 
who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. To humble you, to test you, and to do you good in the end is the way the ESV says. To humble you, to test you, to know what is in your hearts. The desert wanderings turned out to be more than just a punishment for disobedience. Forty years in the desert was actually a time that God was using to be refining and changing the hearts of his people. Now these people were born and raised in Egypt where they had this, the Nile River. And they had this amazing fertile farmland with incredible fruits and vegetables and food to eat for days and days and days and maybe months or even a whole year's worth. And then God leads them out of this place and he brings them here to this, a barren wasteland of nothing. The desert was an unbearable change from life that they had in Egypt, even though they were slaves in Egypt. But like the Exodus itself, the desert was part of a divine strategic plan to teach lessons of dependence and trust with just enough bread and just enough water. There's an author by the name of Walter Brueggemann, I think, said it best in describing Israel's journey through the wilderness as one of having nothing, yet lacking nothing. Having nothing, yet lacking nothing. In the desert, it's just you and God. There's nothing of your own nothing of your own strength or your power or your wealth or your knowledge or your experience. There's no technology or material possessions or social status or academic degrees that can help you in any way in the desert. You and God. God had his people start their journey together through the desert to humble them and to test them because God wanted their hearts. God brought his people through the desert for their hearts to be fully exposed of their pride or selfishness. And God needed to show his people that he loves them and that they can trust him. He needed to shape and mold and refine them in order to prepare his people for the journey ahead. And what was coming next for them was life in the promised land. And I love how the second half of chapter 8 talks about how amazing the land is going to be when you get there. I mean, you thought Egypt was good as far as how, you know, amazing the fertile ground was and the fruit and all this kind of stuff. But when you get to the promised land, you can't even imagine how awesome it's going to be. But don't you dare forget who I am. Don't you dare forget how I cared for you and how I am the one who provided for you and I will continue to provide for you. It's not on your own strength. It's not on your own power because you can't do that.
think that's true in our lives a lot, where we think we can do things on our own strength, our own power. I got an A. You did? Are you sure you got your N.A.? Or did God somehow give you an incredible brain to study these things? Who is the one that's given you the gifts that you have today? Although God's people obviously complained and did not really enjoy their life in the desert, they didn't really want to be there, later some of God's people, such as uh, Moses and Elijah and Hosea talks about this, they actually ran to the desert in order to be refined, to be changed, to be sanctified, to listen, so that they could clearly hear and know God's voice. Because sometimes desert seasons end up being the best seasons. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Just before Jesus began his public ministry, he goes And he spends 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Jesus, too, was going through his own version of a desert wanderings. Not for 40 years, but for 40 days. And during these 40 days, he, too, was tested. Verse 2 says this, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Anybody else find humor in that verse? Are you sure? Right? Thank you, Captain Obvious. After not eating for 40 days, he was hungry. But I think this, I think this also shows us the humanity of Jesus in this verse. I mean, God, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And in this moment, Jesus, in his human nature, was hungry and he was desperate. 
The devil came along and tested him three different times. And every time Jesus was tempted, he responded by quoting truth found in Scripture. For example, in verse 3, um, It is written, man, uh, verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus responds in verse 4, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 in that passage. And Jesus relives the experience of the Israelites, but where they failed their test, Jesus passed his Jesus passes the test in the desert. The writer of Hebrews offers these words of hope. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Or these words from Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because Jesus passed the test, Jesus was tempted just as you and I are tempted, yet was without sin. And because of that, eventually led him to the cross, where he is able to die as the unblemished, perfect, spotless Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Because he was obedient, because he did not falter here, he was able to pay the price for you and for me, knowing full well that we will be tested and we will be tempted and we will fall and we will fail and we will get up and we will fall and we will fail again and again and again. And that, my friends, is the good news. That is the hope that we have because he stood that test. He's able to identify with us, but yet was also ultimately able to offer that sacrifice for you and for me, knowing that we would never be able to be without sin ourselves. So the Israelites are in the desert for 40 years. 40 years, because God wanted the Israelites to know him, to know his love, his faithfulness, his provision, his power, and God led them through an intense desert season. I mean, raise your hand if you're 20 years old. Okay, about half of you. Take your entire life, multiply that by two, and this is how long the test is going on. God was very serious about this test. To humble you, to test you, to know what's in your heart. God wanted to continually work on the hearts of his people, to continually refine them, to change them. Because he had big plans ahead for them. Forty 
years. It has been said that a faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. This desert story gives me incredible hope. God caused the Israelites to wander in the desert for 40 years, to humble them, to test them, to change them, to do them good in the end. I love that phrase, to do them good in the end, because God has a greater purpose God had a greater picture of what was going on. They couldn't see that. All they could see was, God, we don't have any bread today. God, we're thirsty. It's been three days in the desert and we haven't had any water. That's all they could see. But God's like, just trust me. There's a bigger thing that's going on here. I know you can't see it. All you feel is the heat of the desert. But there's a bigger thing and and I love you and I'm going to care for you. There's a greater purpose that's going on in desert seasons of life. And whether you've been through a desert season of the past, or whether you feel like you're in a desert season of your life right now, or when the desert season comes 10, 15, 30 years from now, who is God? Do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you trust that he's good? Do you trust that he loves you even in those hot, dry situations of life? James puts it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face tests or trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So, consider it pure joy when your your boyfriend calls it quits. When you were convinced that he was the one. Consider it pure joy when you are confident that you're supposed to be a nurse and you don't get into the program. Consider it pure joy when you're graduating in five minutes and you have no idea what the heck you're doing with your life. Consider it pure joy when the bill is due and you have zero dollars and you don't know how you're going to keep going. Consider it pure joy. Because in the middle of the hottest and driest of deserts that life could possibly throw at us. We can not only tolerate, but we can actually celebrate every desert kind of season. Maybe even celebrate like my new friend Jim. Because no matter what kind of season you find yourself in, there is always Just as God did with the Israelites before they entered the promised land and with Jesus before he began his public ministry, God wants to refine your heart. God wants to change my heart. And he wants to do these things to prepare us for what is yet to come. His ultimate desire is to do you good in the end by changing your heart to be more and more like Jesus.
Please pray with me. Father, I pray that you and your words will, will speak to us. I pray that we can truly find encouragement from these stories. I pray for my friends who are in this room who are in the middle of a very difficult desert season of life. I pray, God, that you will surround them with hope and encouragement and community that they can keep their eyes fixed on you, trusting that you have a bigger purpose. Even though they can't see straight, they can't quite understand why. Like our friend Hannah who said, I don't know why. I don't know why I had this injury. I don't know why I'm having all these complications with this surgery. But may we trust you enough knowing that you have a bigger plan for our lives and you want to do good and you want to prepare us for what is yet to come. So Jesus, help us to celebrate. Help us to give you our hearts. Change us. Because you know how prideful and selfish we can so easily be. Tonight we are grateful for Jesus and we are grateful for the ways that he passed the test and the ways that he ultimately became the perfect sacrifice on a cross for when we fail our test. But help us to get up and keep going because you still have great things in store for our lives. Help us to enjoy the desert. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.